0: Welcome to another episode of the MMA Lockcast. I'm your host, Manpreet, a.k.a. MMA Lock of the Night, and your boy on Twitter at MMALOTN. This week, we're going over UFC Fight Island 1. Technically, it's the second fight they have on Fight Island, but that was UFC 251. So now they're calling it UFC Fight Island 1. It's going to be headlined by Calvin Cater versus Dan Ige, which is a pivotal featherweight bout that I'm very much looking forward to. Um, There's a couple other fights intriguingly uh, sprinkled out throughout the card. Uh, Another one that just comes off the top of my head is Cody Cody Stamen versus Jimmy Rivera, which should be a fun, fun fight. Both guys going up to 145 due to the short nature of this uh, this fight being put together, but it's a, a very intriguing fight that I can't wait to break down for you guys. Before we get into the card, though, let's do a quick betting recap of my UFC 251 card. I'll try to get through this quickly so that we can just get right into the to the actual breakdowns. Uh, but uh, let's start off with the lock of the night play. Actually, you know what? Let's start off with the one play that missed for us. It was the dog of the night play at one unit at plus 181 on Jose Aldo to go out there and beat Piotr Jan. I th- uh, I thought he still looked good. You know the 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 same question marks that remain for Jose Aldo as he always have pretty much for his entirety of his career was the 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 length of how uh, how long his gas tank can go and it really caught up to him in that fifth round against Piotr Jan Um, you know there were spots where Jan looked great and then Jose Aldo came in started to look great and then Jan took back over again it was a really great fight a very very fun fight and then unfortunately he ate way too many shots in that fifth round before referee Leon Roberts finally decided to step in But I thought I got decent value off that plus 181 on Jose Aldo. I still believe he's he's there. Uh, Piotr Jan is just another level right now. Um, But I still think that Jose Aldo could compete with the top five of the bantamweight division. And there's a ton of fights that I'm still very excited for him to, to, to be a part of. One of them just being off the top of my head, Cody Garbrandt. I would love to see Cody Garbrandt versus Jose Aldo. I think that would be a phenomenal fight. Uh, so minus one unit there, but was winning for the rest of the night. We had two units on Rosnami units at minus 193. That hits for 1.04 uh, units of profit. Pretty much what I expected it to be, uh, other than the fact that J- Jessica Andrade went to absolute apeshit in round three. Um, you know, it could have been... Uh, close to a 10A, but Rose Namunis was still in that fight uh, and still in that round. She was still landing damage in that round. She wasn't a complete, uh, you know, she didn't completely just roll over for just gone in the round. But, uh, you know, we saw what made Rose great uh, pinpoint accuracy, in and out movement, uh, outside of, you know, getting dropped and hurt. But just gone in that third round, she looked pretty good. So I was happy to cash on that. Also, two units at minus 196 on uh, Alexander Volkanovsky. That profits for 1.02 units. Um, I haven't watched that fight back yet. Uh, Watching it live, again, probably a little bit stoned and a little bit out of it after just, you know having a fun night i should i'll just leave it at that um it's tough to score it but but watching it live i did have it for max hallway rounds one two and three uh however we're not going to be doing the uh, deciding splits episode until after this wednesday card so we probably will do at least round three of okanasi hallway and then i'll see if you know my my memory serves me correctly in terms of I scored that fight for Max Holloway. But regardless, I'll take the judge's gaff on this and uh, take the money uh, that Alexander Volkanovsky won. And uh, yeah, I'm happy with that. And then lastly, we had the lock of the night play. I totally fucked up the line moving on this bet. I thought that, uh, you know, minus 267 was going to be the best that we got for Kamaru. But people were drinking the Kool-Aid way too much on uh, Masvidal a, couple, a day or two after I placed the bet. I saw the line get down to minus 225 minus 230 absolutely ridiculous I was so close to putting another five units on Kamar Usman at that minus 230 line but I just thought that was very irresponsible uh, bankroll management so I just stayed with the five units at minus 267 that I had plus 1.87 units on that play very very happy with that I'm glad to finally shut these people up who are riding Jorge Masvidal's nuts uh, and thinking that he would go out there and beat Kamar Usman like Come on, guys. Get your shit together. Anybody that bet uh, Jorge Masvidal should get slapped in the mouth. I'm sorry. I'm sorry if that's a little bit too forward. I'm absolutely sorry. But skill for skill, Kamaru Usman blows him out of the water. Even if it's boring, it's within the rules of MMA. Don't care if if it put you to sleep. A win is a win is a win is a win. And I don't give a fuck if it was just stomping his feet. He controlled him for the majority of that fight. If anything, you give Jorge Masvidal round one outside of that clean sweep for mr kamaru Usman. so happy to cash on that lock that i play it gets us back on track a little bit but that brings us right into ufc fight island one which again uh two intriguing matchups including the main event and uh the and Stamen fight that i was talking about earlier um i'm intrigued to see what taylor santos looks back looks like after coming off her first professional career loss uh the return of, of abdul razak al hassan that's a Great, great fight! Ricardo Ramos versus Larone Murphy is a great fight too. Jack Shore slowly working his way back up into the ranks. Looking forward to that. So decent fights sprinkled out throughout the card. Entertaining fights nonetheless. Uh, but yeah, I'm very much looking forward to it. So. Um, before we get into the breakdowns, again, I always want to remind you guys that these breakdowns come out early on Patreon, so if you guys want to hop on that, uh, I got all the information in the description of the uh, video or the podcast below, so make sure you guys check that out. Uh, $5 a month, you get all this shit earlier than everybody else. As I record them, I drop them to you guys so you guys can see them, and then I have a bunch of other perks that you guys can check out as well too uh, on the Patreon, so check that out Um yeah i put a lot of hard work into this shit so uh you know it's just a little bit of gratitude that i'm looking for that's all anyway let's get into the breakdowns for the for uh ufc fight island one and uh yeah i hope you guys enjoy it kenneth berg versus jorge gonzalez uh there are currently no odds on this fight as jorge gonzalez stepped in uh just a couple days ago uh in place of um another ufc newcomer i think his name was timu fuked uh but kenneth berg uh we'll start off with him uh was on the contender series uh, i believe it was last year yep in 2019 july of 2019 he lost via neck crank in the first round to antonio Tricoli, uh who a couple months later ended up testing positive for that fight and that fight ended up getting overturned to a no contest so uh you know kenneth berg has relatively uh uh Uh, an unblemished record still um but he's obviously making his ufc debut here um he's coming off of two straight victories after that contender series fight as well but against guys that are you know not really competitive one guy was making his ufc debut or not his ufc but his pro mma debut and got just absolutely bum rushed um You know, got taken down quite easily and then got rear naked choked within 41 seconds. And then the fight after that, he fought some guy that was 14 and 19 going into that fight, uh, dropped him immediately, and then ground and patted him within 21 seconds and got the victory that way too. So it's it's tough to tell what Kenneth Berg is really like uh when he's you know fighting guys that are actually legitimate you know he has a decent win over Norman Perezley uh from uh Cage Warriors where he guillotine choked him in the second round but it seems pretty evident in terms of what Kenneth Berg wants to do it's get you down once he gets you down he seems to have a, a pretty clear path to victory which is like going for submissions or going for ground and pound um But this fight against Jorge Gonzalez, Gonzalez is quite a a bit of an unknown, too. He has a lot of fights on his record. This is going to be his 20th fight coming or 21st fight uh, coming into the UFC. He just fought on July 3rd. So he fought just about a week ago uh, at UWC-22. Luckily, when I was putting the tape and next together, they were literally premiering uh, that uh, the the event video on YouTube, uh, and then as soon as I finished up, I was able to put it into the index. But we saw him, you know, another guy. The guy he was fighting was 8-0-1, but did not look like an eight zero and one um, You know, he ate a couple shots. Uh, Jorge was eventually able to get him down within a minute, and then got the rear naked choke. Uh, it didn't seem like he had much resistance to deal with that time around. Um, Both of these guys are a little bit of an unknown. I, I think Gonzalez obviously has a little bit more uh, um, uh, legitimacy just due to his experience uh he knocked out luke barnat uh back at the beginning of 2019 uh beautiful right hook that he was able to get off of an exit and then follow up with a little bit of ground and pound so he has power in his hands and i believe that was the first time he had actually gotten out of the first run when he had fought uh 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 nazruddin nazrudinov which was the fight after luke Barnett, uh and that was a fight where we saw you know he's not the quickest fighter um you know nazrudinov was able to really get a lot of shots off and hurt uh jorge um just due to the lack of speed that jorge was you know showcasing i don't think that he's gonna have to worry too much about Berg's speed i don't think berg is the fastest fighter either um so this fight is a little bit of an unknown. The one thing that I am intrigued by would be the under one and a half. Uh, I, I expect it to be completely juiced though, because both guys are finishers. Um, in sixteen fights, or or the fight before the nazardina fight, um, Jorge was fifteen and three going into that fight, and that was the first time he had ever seen the second round, which was insane. Um, you know, to go. Uh, 18 fights without seeing the second round is insane uh, but we did see a little bit of his gas tank start to show in that second round which led to the finish by Nazrudinov. Uh, he was able to overwhelm him got him got the back mount uh, and was able to rain on, rain down shots and finally get that finish but if this fight gets into the second round things could get very dicey for him so I'm not the most uh, intrigued by picking a side here but more so i'm down with taking the under normally you guys know me i like to wait until a fighter is at like two and a half or the total is at two and a half uh before betting an under but i'm okay with betting the under one and a half here which is what i fully expect them to drop this at um you know jorge is obviously in fight condition still he just had a fight um again 12 12 days before this fight's actually going to take place um but there's going to be a lot that he has to deal with in, in, in the interim. You know, he has to take all of his COVID tests. He's going to have to make the trek out to Abu Dhabi. Um, you know, all these things are going to be very new for him, just as it is going to be for Kenneth Berg. But Berg has been uh, preparing for this for slightly longer. Um, man, I, I think I'm going to have to side with Jorge here. I think he'll be okay if uh, this fight does get taken to the ground. Um the only thing is, it seems like Berg is going to be the bigger guy here, too. I just want to confirm the sizes. We got six foot for Jorge Gonzalez and 6'2", uh, 74.5 inches for Kenneth Berg. Berg looks like he's going to be the bigger guy, so it might be a little bit easier for him to get this fight to the ground. Uh, but it's going to be all about whether he's going to be able to control it from there or not. I'm not I'm not completely sold on either guy. Uh, just for the sake of this podcast, I will side. Uh, f- fuck. I'm going to have to side with Jorge Gonzalez here. Um, I, I could see him uh, hurting Kenneth on the feet. Uh, but again, he also has a ton of experience under his belt. Um... But man, again, I I wouldn't side with either guy here, but for the sake of the podcast, I'll go with Gonzalez, but the under 1.5 is probably where your money should be. Uh, Again, we don't have odds out yet, but I'm assuming it will be at 1.5 and and it'll probably be like minus 150, minus 160, and I'm totally okay with that considering the track record of both of these guys. So I'll go with Gonzalez to win by first round TKO, uh, but uh, the under 1.5 is what you should keep your eye on aaron phillips versus jack shore we got minus 700 for jack shore plus 500 for aaron phillips and uh the line that's most intriguing to me here is actually the over one and a half it's currently at minus 120 and uh it makes a lot of sense so with jack shore he's coming over well this will be his second ufc fight his first one he won via rear naked choke over no helen hernandez in round three and if you notice earlier in his career uh he's still quite young in his career he's 12 and 0 currently but the first half of his career is mainly uh really quick first round finishes he goes out there um pretty much just looks for the submission and the finish right away and uh he you know more often than not he would get them back then um but as of late uh, his last three fights in particular have come down uh Have come to a finish in the third round, Uh, and that kind of shows a a little bit of maturity in his game in terms of you know looking for the spots, being patient, knowing that the spots are eventually going to be there, and it's more so just you know waiting for the pieces to fall into place so that he can you know get the get the rear naked choke, which are two of his last finishes, or whether it's the ground and pound afterwards. Uh, But he's very he's very talented. I think he has a bunch of uh, potential. Whereas Aaron Phillips, on the other side, is actually a former UFC vet. He fought twice in the UFC when he lost to Sam Sicilia and Matt Holbar via decision. And then he fought uh, Chris Gutierrez in 2015 and lost via injury. It was some sort of leg injury. I couldn't pinpoint exactly what it was. But that pretty much put him out of uh, pro MMA competition for about three years. And since then, he's come back and won five straight fights. Uh, His Devontae Sewell fight was very intriguing because I thought he, you know, there was a good argument that he probably lost that fight um Sewell did a really good job of getting on top landing some good shots from on top and continuously making Aaron Phillips work uh but somehow Phillips still ended up, ended up getting the victory in that fight uh, the one thing Phillips did show that was promising was that he can defend pretty well off of his back uh but he has a little bit of an issue in terms of getting back to his feet and I think he'll have the same issues against Jack Shore, who I believe is a much stronger fighter um with the better top game better jiu-jitsu um you know phillips will probably have the advantage on the feet uh it's funny because you know his he trains out of a gym called head kicks mma and fitness i believe that's his gym not to mention alone that uh his instagram is at head kicks underscore mma so you pretty much know what he's looking for he's gonna go out there try to take your head off pretty much with his leg so uh but but the thing is wh- with those kicks Whenever you, are ki- whenever you are kicking, you're giving your opponent uh, uh, an in in terms of getting the, the fight to the ground. And I don't think that uh, Phillips is going to want to throw many kicks, but I don't think it's going to matter because I think Jack Shore does a good job of staying patient on the feet and then waiting for the right opportunity to clinch up and get fights to the ground. And Something that Phillips has shown as of late is that he doesn't have the best takedown defense, so it's going to be a little bit easy for uh, for Jack Shore to really close the distance, clasp his hands behind Phillips, and get this fight to the ground. Um, initially I was thinking the under one and a half is probably the way to go just because of how easy it is for Phillips uh, or for Phillips to get taken down Uh, but with Shore uh, again his maturity I believe he really is going to be a little bit patient we will see a little bit of resistance from Phillips on from the bottom which should allow this fight to go over seven and a half rounds or sorry seven and a half rounds seven and a half minutes and once it gets to that point I think Shore is slowly going to take over and then we'll see the spots open up for him but I think the over is probably where the best bet is here at minus uh 120 i think there's a ton of value there considering how slow and methodical jack shore is nowadays with his uh, grappling and his jiu-jitsu so um unfortunate return for aaron phillips in terms of going up against a tank like jack shore uh but at least this is probably his hazing to get back into the ufc and i'm sure they'll give him a little bit more of a favorable matchup next time around so he's not a plus 500 underdog coming back into the ufc so i'm taking jack shore to win this fight probably by second or third round submission or tko um the guy's a tank he has a ton of potential and i can't wait to see him go out there and do some more work uh so once again second or third round tko or submission for jack shore diana belbita versus liana jujua we got minus 165 for belbita plus 145 for liana um this is a intriguing fight um both women aren't the highest of level uh, skill wise. Um, you know, Deanna likes to really go for the kill in most of her fights. She's a very forward moving fighter. Likes to open up with her strikes. Uh, likes to use kicks as well too. But uh, she's more of a, a rushing type of, uh, type of an opponent, which is why Molly McCann was able to get her down more often than not. Because Deanna pretty much, just, or sorry, uh, Deanna just pretty much. Um, you know, allowed her to, 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 to capitalize, uh, you know, on those, um, on those striking exchanges because the takedown was there and it was pretty open for her. Um, you know, if she tightens that up a little bit, uh, she could definitely put a hurtin on some women because uh, her striking and her aggression uh, is very imp- is quite impressive, I should say. Um, but it's pretty obvious what she wants to do. She wants to go in there and try to knock your head off. Uh, and she throws, you know, punches and bunches. Doesn't seem like she has crazy knockout power or anything like that. Uh, but it's just her overwhelming pressure and peace that seems to break a lot of these women. Uh, you know, she kind of has a similar. Uh, skepticism about her regarding her pre-UFC you know, competition a lot of these women, you know, less than five or six uh, fights Uh, she has racked up a couple losses on her record, um And most of those losses seem to come when she's fighting women that look to take her down. And it doesn't look like it's the hardest thing to get her down either. Uh, You know, one of her, I'd say her third last fight against Milena Bojic. This was a woman, you know, making her pro MMA debut. She was getting lit up on the feet pretty much. Uh, Sorry, I I did get that wrong. It was uh, Anna Maria Paul, actually. Did I get that wrong? Hold on, let me check that back real quick. Yeah, I believe it was Anna Maria Paul uh either way this was a fight where you know the the woman was uh pretty much getting teed up off on the feet diana was having a lot of success there but whenever she wanted to get this fight to the ground she had pretty much you know the all the all the ease in the world she's able to get her down um she didn't get do as much damage from there and uh diana was able to capitalize with that but when women are able to get her down uh the one that really comes to mind is her Ioni fight um, in Superior FC. That was her last loss before coming to the UFC. Um, the girl seemed to, you know, get her down with relative ease, and then when she was finally able to, you know, she she locked up a guillotine choke and had it pretty deep and got the finish there. Um, I think if Liana was Liana was smart. It's fine that it's Deanna versus Liana, but Liana. So you know what? I'll go with the last name just so it's a little bit easier and I don't get these girls mixed up. But uh, Jujua, if she's smart, I believe her best path to victory here would be to capitalize on takedown opportunities, get this fight to the ground and ride up on top as I believe that uh, Belbita has a little bit of issues in terms of getting up and she's not the most active off of her back with uh, submissions or anything like that and Liana does a really good job of staying out of submissions. Um, But, uh, you know, if uh, Jojua has a little bit more confidence in her striking, that might just be bad news for her. I think that she'd, she would let this fight slip away, um, you know, trying to go strike for strike with Balbita, because it seems like Balbita would have the, the, the activity and the output advantage. Um, both girls are again they're you know average level for this division um it could go either way which is why i believe this is more so like a dog or pat situation and I'm, I'm a fan of belbita she actually trains uh in ontario at house of champions um with Cruelin, who's a great muay thai coach uh he has co- he's coached a, a ton of local mma fighters most notably kyle nelson uh who goes uh, down there every now and then to to get some training in with Cruellin. uh and Diana, it seems that she she made that move over uh, to her uh to the house of champions after her rxf fights uh which is something that Cruelin is also very much tied to as well Cruelin is also another guy that you guys will notice he's whenever they normally have canadian events he's normally the cup man so you'll see his name on the back of his shirt but uh he's a really high level muay thai coach as well as well as an mma coach he has a ton of champions uh hence the name of house of champions maybe not in the ufc but uh you know all over the world regional promotions muay thai uh promotions he's produced a lot of winners um man i, I just don't know which way to go it, it's just so the only thing that has me hesitant about um you know uh, fully being confident in bobita is just her lack of takedown defense um you know she does have the slight experience advantage here against liana but liana has gone a full five rounds uh at uh, fight nights global where she wanted a majority decision um man it's tough and then in the Sarah Morass fight, she pretty much just got held up against the cage. Finally, got taken down and and pretty much TKO'd. Um, man, it's 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 really tough uh, to to pick this fight. I got to give the the striking advantage to Balbita, the grappling advantage to Jujua. Um, and you guys know me; I normally like to go with the grappler in these uh, in these uh, uh, in these situations uh and the fact that you're giving me dog money on her as well too, I think this is more so a dog or pass situation. It's tough to find a reason to to play minus one sixty five on Belbita who, you know, has a glaring flaw in her game. Uh but it's gonna come down to the fight IQ of JoJua, knowing whether she, you know, she will have much more success if this fight gets uh taken to the ground. And she might have a little bit of a strength advantage here too. She's uh you know quite strong and we've seen uh you know good awareness on the ground for her from her when when she has gone fights to the ground so I'm, i believe i'm gonna have to go with jujua here i think that she'll uh grind this fight out from the top position maybe look for submissions but she can't get too overzealous give up positions to allow B- B- belbita to get back to their feet uh but man the the line should be much closer at least in my opinion from what i've seen from both women um yeah i'll go with jujua to win this fight by decision but if you really you know Uh, i would say just don't bet this fight it could go either way but if you do and you want to put a gun to your head or something like that you got to go with the dog here just to get that little extra bit of value which i believe jojua has so i'm going to go with jojua to win this fight by decision uh but just pass on this fight please just pass on it chris fishgold versus jared gordon we got minus 145 on flash and we got plus 125 on fishgold um the one line that stands out to me here is actually the under two and a half at minus 140 a little bit juicy but um i don't mind it so let's start off with jared gordon he's coming off a loss to um the ever streaking charles Oliveira. um that was back in november and now here he is back fighting in uh you know pretty much what was that eight nine months later um one thing that he's really known for is his cardio and his pace he's always putting pressure on his opponents always staying in their face um you know not really letting them breathe uh and that really disrupts uh you know the game plan of most of his opponents Uh, obviously the Joaquim Silva loss was very devastating that was a fight where you know Joaquin Silva just being the better technical striker was having a lot of success on the feet and then eventually he was able to get the knockout there. Uh, and then Diego Fajero obviously had a lot of power and was able to put him away within, uh, you know, two minutes of that first round. In the Dan Moret fight, we saw uh, Jared Gordon really, like, kind of easily get taken down by Moret. And Moret's a bigger dude, you know, kind of taller for the weight class, and it seemed like he had a bit of a a strength advantage as well. So it made it, uh, you know, a little bit easier for him to get him to the ground. But once he got him to the ground, he found it really difficult to keep Jared Gordon there. Gordon was always finding ways to, you know, find reversals, find sweeps, get his, uh, you know, regain top position. Stay out of submissions. There's a ton of submissions that Dan Moret was threatening. Uh, arm bars, triangles, all that stuff. But Jared Gordon did a good job of continuously working. Uh, pitter-patter punches from the top. But also staying out of those submissions. So that was very impressive. And then obviously we know the Charles Oliveira fight. Uh, you know, took a really bad shot there by um, uh, by Oliveira on the inside. Uh, dropped him and then he uh, ate a perfect uppercut as well to, to really put him out. Very unfortunate loss from there. He came in as a huge underdog as well too. So it's not like you know we're expecting him to go out there and actually absolutely starch Charles. Uh, a loss is a loss and that's a high level opponent to lose to. Now, here he is against Chris Fishgold. Uh, You know, Fishgold has run into a little bit of trouble in the UFC. He came into the UFC 17-1-1. Now, he's sitting at a record of 18-3-1. He's lost two out of his last three fights. His only victory being over Daniel Tamar, who probably wasn't even UFC-ready anyway. Uh, But losses to Calvin Cater, uh, you know, That, you know, obviously Cater's headlining the card. Uh, Obviously, the way better striker, and he was able to keep the fight uh, on the feet for the majority of it and was able to knock him out there. And then Makwana Mirakani, he had a little bit of success there. Um, You know, Makwana had a great takedown, great timing uh, in that first round, and then it was the second round where, um, you know, Fishgold um you know with some questionable fight iq going for a a guillotine gives up the position on the ground and then maquan uh wraps up an anaconda choke and gets the victory there you know fish a very strong grappler a very strong wrestler but his only issue is that he seems to have a little bit of gas tank issues he has gone five rounds in cage warriors but that was a fight where he was able to easily get his opponent down round after round after round and then just ride off uh top control just staying just active enough so that the referee doesn't stand them up um but he's gonna have a lot of issues trying to keep Jared Gordon down. I think he'll be able to get Jared Gordon down. Um, I think that he'll have a little bit of success in that first round. But if he's not able to get that 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 submission in the first round, which is something that he's kind of known for, um it's gonna be a tough night for him. And I think that Jared Gordon could absolutely overwhelm him and really get a TKO later in the fight. So that's why I'm a little bit intrigued by the the under two and a half. And if you guys have been following me for a little bit, you guys know that uh, I did have an under one and a half kind of bite me in the butt the other, uh, a couple weeks ago with Jillian Robertson and Cordy Casey. I went hard on that under two and a half and then it ended up cashing a minute after the under one and a, or under two and a half went by. So maybe the fight doesn't go to decision is the, is the way to go. But the thing is, you guys know my style. I either like taking straight bets or money line, um, sorry money line or totals just because that's those are the odds that are most widely available uh to people that actually watch this show so the under two and a half is definitely uh, something that i would consider just because i believe that jared gordon will really start to come on uh, after that first round but i'm not 100 percent sure if he'll be able to get it within you know the under two and a half um but i do like him in this fight Um, My only concern is that first round, is Jared Gordon going to be able to uh, stay out of the positions of, uh, or the submissions of Fishgold? Um, Fishgold is much stronger uh, than Dan Moret. Um, He does have the slightly better wrestling, um, but his his striking game is very one-dimensional. You know, he he has that, uh, Fishgold has that, like, wrestler-style striking, as I like to call it, where it's just blitzing right hands, power hooks, and then it's just to close the distance so that he can clinch up or shoot for a takedown. Um, He's going to have to be a little bit better than that with Jared Gordon because I think Gordon will do a good job of staying off the cage and be able to, you know, stay away from most of the takedowns. I do believe that Fishgold will get the takedown in the first round. And if he's not able to lock up the submission within that first round again, it's going to be very very tough for him to to get the victory here because Flash just has a ridiculous gas tank, a ridiculous pace. And I think again, if this fight gets past that first round, it's going to be all Jared Gordon. So this is a really good live betting opportunity. So if you want to stick back and just wait, see how that first round plays out, and then really uh, you know jump on Jared Gordon, probably after you know being down after one round, uh, you might be able to get some good plus money on him there. Uh, But I like uh gordon to to get this fight done late or get the finish late i'm just a little bit hesitant about the under two and a half again i don't know if it's going to take him longer than that i could see him getting it done in the second round too but i'm just a little bit hesitant so i do like jared gordon here i'm gonna take him to win but win this fight by third round tko as i think he's just going to overwhelm fishco a little bit too much fishco is going to be shooting for his life after that first round and i think gordon just does a good enough job in terms of you know one getting reversals getting sweeps and getting back to his feet which will make fish gold work even more and then we see his gas tank really start to fail him and uh the the pace and pressure of gordon really uh you know take it out of fish gold so um yeah i'm gonna go with gordon here to win this fight by third round tko um but uh, under two and a half is something you might want to consider uh but yeah i like gordon third round tko Ricardo Hamos versus Larone Murphy. We got minus155 on Hamos and plus 135 on Larone Murphy. Uh, let's start off with Lerone Lerone Murphy Uh, he's coming off a draw in a fight against Zubera Tukakov back at UFC 242 which was a pretty back and forth fight in terms of uh, you know uh, Zubera had him on the ropes in the in the first round and then uh, I believe one of the judges uh, saw that as a 10-8 and then gave uh, Murphy the last two rounds as a pretty much 10-9 each um but it was a split decision or a split draw um all three judges had the score cards completely different um but yeah it was just such a weird fight uh uh and you could just see the the how the temperature affected both guys in there too uh with the fight happening in Abu Dhabi they always have this like weird temperature uh situation and these guys are just absolutely drenched halfway through the first round just due to their sweat and and the humidity in the arena but, uh, you know, that was a, a good way for Lerone Murphy to really, you know, uh, get into the UFC, a good fight to, to make his debut uh, against a tested Zubaira Tukagov, who had tons of experience within the UFC, um, and he re- was really able to show off some of his striking skills, which is his main, you know, attributes or his best uh, skill that he has. Um, he's very light on his feet, he throws kicks very well, he moves very well. Um, but his striking is definitely something to 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 remember. Um, in the fight before his UFC debut, he actually uh, finished a guy with beautiful ground and pound, where he had uh, handcuffed the guy's arm on the opposite side, which freed up uh, his uh, hammer fists, and he was able to put him out that way. It just shows how much power that uh, Lerone Murphy is able to generate. He's still relatively young in his MMA career, eight zero and one. Um, so he still has a ton of time to grow and that Tukagov fight was just great for him experience wise here he is coming in against Hakara Hamosh who 14-2 and uh, has had his most recent loss to Saeed Nurmagomedov they they were both 12-1 going into that fight a big fight in terms of prospects and uh, Nurmagomedov was able to come out on the winning end but since then he's been able to put together two straight victories over Junior Newsom and Eduardo Giragori in the most recent fight, he was able to win that fight by rear naked choke. Since coming into the UFC, he had a lot of um, hype on him. He, you know, He was on Dana White's looking for a fight where he got a, a second round rear naked choke. Uh, and then he finally made his UFC debut against Michinori Tanaka. Won that by uh unanimous decision. Uh, spinning back elbow KO of Eamon Zahabi, that one was beautiful. A split decision over Kyung Kang. Who personally I rate very very heavily and that was a very hard fight for me to choose. You guys know me I love riding that uh, Mr. Perfect um, uh, train with Kong but I felt like in uh, in that How Much fight he was definitely a little bit outmatched in terms of overall skill. How much does a good job in terms of keeping distance and does a really good job in uh, you know with his striking but his jiu-jitsu is very high level as well too which is what I believe is going to give Lerone Murphy some issues so I think that how much is able to you know he will be able to keep the fight competitive on the feet, uh, but I think his best path to victory would be able to initiate the grappling, get to the clinch positions, and get this fight to the ground, and I believe he'll have success doing that. You know, Tukakov landed plenty of takedowns on Murphy, and I'm not saying that Hamosh has the same level of wrestling as took off. But, uh, you know, Hamosh does have crafty back takes. And I could definitely see him, like, getting into a, some sort of a clinch position up against the cage with Murphy. And then somehow getting his cage or getting his cage, getting his back. And then, uh, you know, sinking in the hooks and then working for a choke of some sort. Um, the under one, two and a half is very intriguing at plus one sixty i believe it's plus 160 i just want to make sure it hasn't changed since the last time i saw that yeah plus 160 uh, plus 160 for the under two and a half but i could also see an instance where Hamosh is just uh controlling the fight from the outside uh you know getting the fight to the ground every now and then and then just controlling murphy in that aspect too uh, i really like how ha- uh, and even though he has faltered already in the ufc once you know, losing to Said Nurmagomedov is not the biggest deal. Um, it, it's a it's a it's a good fight for him to get experience-wise, uh, and I don't think it really puts him too far behind uh, with that loss. So I still think he has a ton of potential. I think he has top ten uh, potential for sure. Um, he just needs to continue to grow within the UFC. He has a great frame from the for the uh, division as well too, and this is a solid fight for him to you know, rack up some more experience, um, you know, beat a solid striker in Lerone Murphy, and I believe he'll fully be able to do that. So I'm gonna take uh Hakaro Hamosh. You know what, to be on the safe side, I'll go with a decision. Uh but yeah, I could see him outpointing Murphy on the feet and then mixing in his grappling and control uh to to come away with the judge's decision john phillips versus kamzat chamiyev uh we got minus 335 for kamzat and we got plus 275 for john phillips um us start off with uh, the white mike tyson or the welsh wrecking machine as they call him because for some reason i believe people find it offensive that he calls himself the white mike tyson but whatever uh it's a good you know um it's a good explanation of what kind of fighting style john phillips brings to the table as he just loves throwing hooks power shots doesn't really throw in combinations often unless he has somebody hurt but uh he likes looking for uh you know those winging hooks likes to put your lights out and if he's not able to do that more than likely he's probably gonna end up losing the fight um He ended up getting uh, a victory last time around. It was his first UFC win, 14-second finish of Alan Amadovsky. But that was more so Amadovsky just, you know... Losing the fight himself, losing to himself pretty much by you know getting sucked into that um, John Phillips style of fighting. You know, if you're gonna go in there and just wing shots and and hope to to win a firefight against a heavy hitter like John Phillips, you're in for a, a rude awakening. And that's pretty much the only way that John Phillips was probably gonna get a win inside the UFC was if somebody was willing to engage in the firefight with him. He had a similar fight with Jack Marshman. Marshman a little bit more durable, uh, but that's kind of Marshman's fight as well too. He wants to suck somebody into a John Phillips type of fight, and that's what we got. Uh, that fight ended up going to a split decision. Crazy that both guys were able to, to you know eat each other's shots. There was a little bit of respect being shown in that fight too, uh, but yeah, that's pretty much what John Phillips wants to do. He wants to go out there and knock your head off, and if he's not able to, uh, he'll more than likely take the L. Unfortunately for him, he's kind of a slow striker too. You know, outside of that first round, uh, his his hand speed starts to slow. Anybody with legit striking would be able to to pretty much piece him up. Uh, but what you you know, what most fighters uh, look to do, at least with Charles Bird and Kevin Holland did come that third round was uh if you go for the takedown more than likely you're going to get it and if you get the takedown and you have a decent jiu-jitsu game you're probably going to tap him out too that's exactly what Charles Bird did that's exactly what Kevin Holland did and that's exactly what I think that Kamzat's going to be looking to do here as well and that's what he's shown in pretty much the majority of his fights he's a young upstart 6-0 and trains at all-stars uh which is the the Alexander Gustafson training camp uh Hazem seems to have taken a, a huge coaching uh load um off of their their main head coach i can't remember his name off the top of my head but uh that's somebody uh, heza is somebody that we see a lot in kamzat's corner and he does a lot of good job uh, or a lot of good work in terms of uh you know talking him through positions uh i believe it was his last fight against uh man I'm, I'm gonna struggle with to to say this guy's name uh Mz- man i'm anyway it's his last fight it was from brave cf 27 uh he had a huge takedown uh where he he managed to get his opponent up and like run all the way to his corner and uh drop him on his back there and then uh, eventually uh l- locked up i believe it was a dark stroke or an anaconda choke that he got to finish with but um uh, that's pretty much his style. He wants to go out there, take you down. Whether it's a ground and pound or a submission, he's going to get you down and finish you off that way. Uh, still very young in his career, um, but the the line that I really like in this fight is the under one and a half. It's minus one fifty currently, but it's probably the best bet either way. I expect Kamzat to go out there and take him down immediately, and if he's able to get that takedown, he should be able to ground and pound him and eventually work for a submission. I believe that's his best path to victory however if on the way in he's a little bit uh you know reckless per se with the takedown john phillips could absolutely put his lights out too because i believe that his striking is not to the level of john phillips um obviously probably not as much power either um so that's why i like the under one and a half i think this is going to be a quick in and out fight you know it's not going to be a back and forth battle it's either Kamzai gets to take down immediately um and then eventually works for a submission or a or a finish of some sort or john phillips catches him on the way in so the minus 150 is a great price in my opinion and i uh you know i i think one or the other happens um that's why i'm not comfortable with taking the you know the, the minus 335 on the ufc newcomer and exactly if you guys know me i'm not big on taking debuters anymore so um uh, the under one and a half at least covers Kamzat at uh, a submission or if john phillips pull off pulls off a hail mary um, uppercut times the takedown gets a beautiful shot off uh and knocks out kamzat the under one and a half is there to to cover both scenarios so i don't see this fight going past the one and a half mark i love uh i I think it's going to be kamzat getting the takedown and pulling off the submission or a ground and pound victory uh but yeah i'm going to go with kamzat by first round submission uh but under one and a half is definitely the best play uh for this fight specifically and unfortunately that might be the end of it for john phillips um you know, they, they might give him another shot just due to the fact that he took this fight relatively on short notice, uh, a different fighter than he was originally supposed to fight, um, somebody that he was supposed to fight on numerous occasions before was, uh, Todor, let me just make sure I get the kid's name right, Dusko Todorovic, uh, he was scheduled to fight him at least three different times, uh, and now in steps Kamzat on relatively short notice, um, and yeah, uh, I think Kamzai gets this fight done. First round, TKO or submission. Uh, it off a uh, uh, pretty much a, a quick takedown right off the bat. Abdul Razak Al-Hassan versus Munir Laziz. We got minus 335 on Al-Hassan and plus 275 on the UFC newcomer uh, Laziz. So let's start off with uh, Al-Hassan. 10-1, and 1, finally making his comeback to the UFC after he had some sexual assault allegations put up against him uh he ended up beating them so it ended up being uh you know untrue he was uh you know cleared of any charges or any wrongdoing or anything like that so he's found himself back in the ufc now last time he fought was actually ufc 228 when he knocked out nico price in 43 seconds uh in a wild fight you know that's pretty much nico price you know uh get the knockout or go out on his shield pretty much um so that was close to two years ago now And I'm not sure what that really does to a guy uh, like Abdul, you know, um, I just saw a recent article that just came out saying he was contemplating suicide after the sexual assault allegations and all that stuff and it's really got to fuck with you mentally for sure. you know, I'm assuming he kept in shape. Uh, I'm not sure how many people technically like cut him off just because they they believed him or anything like that. He trains out of Fortis MMA too with uh, Safe Sayud and those guys, but they seem like a ride or die kind of crew. So I wouldn't be surprised if the uh, you know if he's still out there with those guys. Um, well, he he is. <laughs> he definitely is still with those guys. That that's something confirmed. But uh, I like to call him like the 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 welterweight uh, Francis Ngannou, pretty much. You know. He has create 10 first round knockouts. those are all of his wins. His only loss was due, uh, was to Omari Ahmedov, who was able to stay away from all those power punches and pretty much just drowned him uh, with his wrestling and cardio uh, or you know better cardio I should say. That that's that that's what keeps me a little bit away from wanting to bet Rizak, uh, especially at the minus three thirty five line. You know, uh, this seems like a tee up firework for him to just get back into the UFC and start to get things rolling again. But uh, you know, it's tough to to trust a guy that. You know, the only time we've seen him outside of the first round, he's lost. And uh, I'm not saying that Munir is going to be the guy that's going to be able to bring him to that second round and drown him and kind of rustle fuck him like Amari Akhmadov did. But, you know, it just gives me a little bit of pause in terms of him being out of the cage for so long. Uh, His only real path to victory being, you know, uh, a knockout. Um, But again, Munir isn't the the craziest uh, fighter out there either. Um, you know long-rangey guy making his UFC debut uh, has a decent jab uh, pretty much knows when uh, his opponents is on the fence uh, or at least uh, you know on the brink of breaking and is able to really really you know uh, go for the kill but against a guy like uh, Razak, you know even if Razak is hurt Seems like the, he's the type of guy that's going to throw back regardless. Uh, Homasi actually had him hurt in that second round too. Or sorry, that second fight as well. And, uh, you know, instead of kind of like cowering away, uh, Rizak was actually, you know, standing his ground and throwing back. Uh, and it ended up working out for him where he landed a beautiful uppercut to put Saba away. Probably one of the cra- crazier knockouts just due to, you know, the way uh saba was like you know flung backwards head bouncing off the canvas it was very very crazy but that just is further in due to you know what abdul razak brings in terms of power my question is and we've already seen it once in the ufc when he fought omari is you know if he's not able to land it what else is there for him and unfortunately i don't think we're going to be able to find out um what 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 more he has because I believe he's still going to go out there and get that first-round knockout over this guy. Uh, Laziz is very easy to hit. He doesn't seem like the, the, the fastest striker either, which leaves some openings for him. I don't think that's... Um Uh, Al-Hassan is really going to cower away from anything that uh, Laziz is throwing at him. He's pretty much just going to wait for a counter, wait for a moment to open up, but that could also lead to a little bit of stalemating because I think that Munir is going to be super hesitant in terms of engaging with him as well too. you know Munir obviously wants to make a good impression his first UFC belt uh I think the best way to go here though like there may be that stalemate period but a part of me believes that Abdul really wants to get back into the cage and really wants to you know reclaim his position in that welterweight division and he would want to go out there and just absolutely ice this guy um the only thing that's uh, you know sexy enough to me is the under one and a half i know it's minus 170 but that's pretty much the 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 path of victory for both the guys here i more so at least uh, abdul rizaka hassan but uh you know uh, laziz has a bunch of finishes on his record as well too um again it's weird that he's from uh uh the team no dubai but it doesn't really seem like he shows too much in terms of jujitsu, which uh you know, that's something that they pride themselves on, the Noguera brothers. Uh, but also the Lil Nog prides himself a little bit more on the boxing aspect of it. Uh, yeah, I like Razak here. I think he's going to put out Munir um, on, you know, within the first round. um you know on any other card if i didn't already have a lock of the night play i'd probably go with the under one and a half here uh but there's already another spot on this card that i like way too much uh to pass up uh in place of this under one and a half so um the play here would be the under one and a half even though it's a little bit juiced uh but it's going to be a great welcome back party for abdul Razak al hassan when he puts out munir laziz in the first round Molly McCann versus Tyler Santos. We got pretty much a pick'em fight here. Minus 120 on Molly McCann. Plus 100 on Tyler Santos. Let's start off with the, you know, pretty inactive Tyler Santos. She hasn't fought since February uh, of last year. She was scheduled a couple times to fight Ashley Evan smith Ariane Carnelosi, and Jillian Robertson. However, she had to pull out of those fights. But now here she is finally fighting Molly McCann. Uh, roughly about, uh, what is that? 17 months since the last time she fought uh last time she fought it was her first ever loss that she had incurred in her 16 or well 16 fight pro mma career she's currently 15 and one she lost a split decision tomorrow romero barella however i feel like you know uh, whichever judge scored that for Santos probably wasn't watching it correctly because uh, easily Mara won those first two rounds. The third round was clearly Santos when she was able to really start to put it together, start to defend the takedowns. It was either Mara starting to slow down or it was more so Tyler just giving it a little bit more effort, um, you know, and really got, starting to get her shots off. She's a very well-versed striker. Um, she moves quite well. She uses her kicks very well, too. Uh, her range management is decent whenever she's on, per se. Uh, I'm, but I'm, I'm very impressed with her, with her striking technique. Um, you know, she hasn't fought the craziest competition because most of her opponents, you know, they have less than five fights uh, in her career. Uh, what is it? One-in-one, two-in-one four and three like she's had just ridiculous like all of her opponents other than uh mara and then the girl that she fought on the contender series estefani almeida the rest of them have like less than four three or four fights um you know obviously that's a little bit of a concern uh but when she's fighting a girl like molly mccann who I believe that Molly believes in her striking a little bit more than she's actually skilled at it. You know, um, I feel like Molly will, you know, try to stand there a little bit longer than she needs to. And then start initiate the grappling and the clinching, uh, which is probably her best path to victory if we're being honest. um, you know, it's it's kind of weird that we saw such a, a weird game plan from Tyler in that Mara fight because I feel like she would have been able to keep distance a little bit better, um, but she just pretty much gave into the clinch positions against the cage and then was easily dragged down. Um, but I feel like you know she she could perform better than that. That was her first fight in the UFC, like officially. You know, the contender series we don't really call that the UFC, but this was her first legitimate fight in in the UFC, and uh, I feel like it really i felt like it was a little bit of a surprise for her and there was some ufc jitters there for sure i feel like in this fight against molly mccann she could definitely perform a little bit better she's gotten the ring rust off in terms not the ring rust but at least the ufc jitters out of her uh, system obviously they're going to be fighting in front of a you know a, a, a crowdless arena um, so that might have a little bit of help for her in terms of mentally getting back into the game but she should be able to pick apart molly mccann on the feet in my opinion uh, she has a 68 inch reach compared to the 62 inch reach of uh, McCann 5'4 for Molly McCann 5'6 for Tyler she obviously has a size advantage there she can use her kicks very well too but she'll have to be very careful in terms of getting the back so that Molly doesn't really capitalize and get a takedown of any sort Um, but You got to be uh, a little concerned if you're backing Molly here like she makes some weird fight IQ decisions like uh, when she had that arm standing arm triangle choke against uh, Danielle uh, Belita. God damn I got I know she's fighting later in the card too uh Deanna Balbita that's what was um she you know she she had her in a standing uh arm triangle choke and then like pushes off the cage into a position where Balbita was able to get on top and then obviously get out of the submission and obviously Molly McCann did a good job of getting out of that position too um you know and there was another one too uh I believe it was the Lipski fight where she had her in full mount uh she was trying to transition to like a mounted triangle but it was just so hard for her to get uh but, like, it, it just wasn't set up the best. And she, she just seems a little bit too loose on the ground. Uh, and I think that she probably won't be able to stay on top of Santos. I think Santos will do a decent enough job in terms of getting back up. Uh, but there's just so many question marks. Like, we, uh, I, I want to be confident in Tyler Santos. And I think anybody at plus money against Molly McCann is a good bet. Um, even if it is a girl that, you know, showed... Uh, you know, uh, an unfortunate performance last time around against Mara Romero Barela, but um, I think on the feet it's a uh, it'll be a shellacking for Tyler Santos as long as she'll keep it on the feet. She, she as long as she maintains her range, beats up Molly McCann from the outside, really makes it difficult for McCann to drop uh, to close the distance. She would have a really good shot of just picking her apart. Um, you know, I think she she must have learned a lot from that Romero Borella fight because she really started to put it together in that third round. Now, if she can do that for at least two rounds, I think she'll be able to survive anything that McCann's able to throw at her. Um, uh, you know. <sighs> It's, it's tough just because I, I can see that path to victory for McCann with the grappling. But I just don't think that she's going to be as uh, successful with it. Like in her last couple fights against Lipsky, against Belbita, uh, she did a good job of like going for those takedowns with like 30 or 40 seconds left in each round to kind of steal the round away. Uh, but I think it's going to be difficult for her to steal the round when she's getting bo- uh, boxed up on the feet for about four minutes, four and a half minutes. And uh, yeah, I think she's she has to know M- mccann not has to know that she has to get this fight down as soon as possible otherwise she might get outpointed on the feet um and again dealing with that reach discrepancy too it's going to be a little bit more difficult for her to to really you know cruise on the feet and then uh initiate a takedown later in the round uh which is why i'm really like leaning towards santos here um I don't mind her at the plus uh, 100. You know what I mean? It's it's plus money. Um, she's definitely the, the underdog, it seems, just due to the betting line. So I, I got to go with Santos here. I think, again, better striking. Uh, learn some lessons from the Barella fight, hopefully. Um, but I, I, I think I'll, I might be taking a small shot on Santos here because I just feel like a lot of people are just writing her off now just due to her uh, unfortunate performance against Barella. But I still believe the girl has some potential. I do believe that she'll have Uh, you know she'll be able to string together a couple wins in the UFC and I think this McCann one will be able to finally get her confidence back uh, and get her back on the winning track something that she's used to doing Uh, but obviously you know lack of competition in the past or lack of experienced competition in the past really has question marks for her but uh, I love what I see on tape outside of you know the Borella fight and and giving up those takedowns but if she's able to clean that up she should absolutely mollywop and you know no pun intended there but I, I think she'll absolutely uh have a good performance against mccann here on the feet to go to a, uh, a decision so i like santos here to win by decision um i will take a very small shot on her um at plus 100 uh as again anybody at plus, uh, plus money against Molly mccann i'll probably take it as long as they're not priscilla casuera um so uh yeah i think santos should win this fight via decision cody Stamen versus jimmy rivera we got minus 135 on jimmy rivera plus 150 on the quick returning cody Stamen. and i say quick returning because he just fought brian kelleher back in june uh just about five weeks ago when he picked up a unanimous decision victory um you know it was his first fight up in the ufc at 145 uh he looked great he looked big his cardio looked good too um but uh as you guys, you know, if you guys have been following me for a while now, you guys know that I don't really think highly of Kelleher. So, you know, decent win for Cody Staman. Uh, but this is gonna be a real big test for him here against Jimmy Rivera, uh, who's in who's been in a little bit of a slump. Uh, but let's again, let's start off with Cody Stamen. Great wrestler, uh, great cardio. Uh his hands seem to get every uh, improving every fight, uh shows off a little bit of uh his kicks every now and then. It's funny because he did used to train, I'm not sure if he still does, but with Darren Crook and they kind of still had the, they kind of had the similar style of striking uh, but obviously Cody Stamon was much more credentialed in the uh, grappling aspect or at least the wrestling aspect uh, and it's been working out pretty well for him you know his only loss in the UFC has come to Al Sterling which was that wicked knee bar that uh, Sterling was able to set up uh, but since then he's gone 2-0 and 1 the, 0, or sorry, the 1 being uh, the Yadong Song draw where uh, Song Yadong actually lost a point uh in the first round due to an illegal knee a blatant illegal knee which he knew he fucked up pretty much immediately afterwards um you know cody you know didn't seem too phased by got up he's like just give me my goddamn point uh referee took away the point from Yidong and then Cody statement just got back to work um you know Stamen has decent striking it doesn't seem like he has much power behind his shots it's more so just to throw them out there and make his opponent uh, kind of get intimidated by that and i don't think that's really going to work against a guy like jimmy rivera uh nor do i think that cody statement's wrestling is really going to come into play here either you know they both share losses to Algermain sterling uh rivera was able to get to a decision but still lost that fight uh but sterling has this weird like strength about him uh that he just seems a lot stronger than a lot of guys at that 135 division whereas i don't think cody will have as much success in terms of stifling Jimmy Rivera and grappling or clinch situations you know jimmy rivera coming up to 145 as well too we're probably going to see him look a little thicker and stronger as well so that could play uh, a little bit of a part into this but if you look at jimmy's recent run his last four fights he's one in three but those three losses marlon Moraes, which was a quick uh head kick and punches knockout uh within 33 strike seconds that was very weird uh how he got caught with that and just got finished uh then he beats john dodson loses to algerin sterling and then loses to Piotr Jan, who is obviously now the bantamweight champion so there's nothing to really uh hold your head about in that aspect but i do like uh, jimmy rivera in this fight because i think he's the more refined striker uh his leg kicks will definitely play a part in this fight as i think that will slow down cody Staman, uh really you know take the the zest off of any takedown attempts that cody statement tries to try uh or tries to attempt and uh you know, even the, the the striking and the blitzing attack that Cody Staman really likes to throw, again, I think that will get really stifled by Jimmy Rivera because I think that Rivera won't have much respect for Cody Stamen's power either. We haven't seen Cody Stamen really knock anybody out, and that's kind of the issue. Uh, what's the last time he got? He got. Dr. Stoppage via cut uh, in his fight before the UFC, and then before that, he did get a finish as well to some guy named uh, Bill Camry. But uh, with Jimmy Rivera, man, the guy throws with a lot of heat. I think uh, the counters is where he's really going to open up because, whereas, you know, guys like Brian Kelleher, they were kind of just. Uh, wincing at the any type of blitz attack that was coming there away from cody statement i think jim rivera is going to stand there and, and kind of trade in the fire and land some big shots on cody statement and i'm a big fan of cody statement so it kind of hurts me to say that but at that line man you, you got to think that uh, cody statement is worth a shot at the minus 135 minus 130 is range i'm personally waiting for minus 130 because i believe that we'll get that but i wouldn't mind the minus 135 either i can get minus 132 out one of my books Uh, might take the shot there maybe take a two-unit stab or even a one-unit stab um just because i don't think i don't don't see much hope for many of the underdogs on this card either but uh yeah i I think jimmy rivera again better striking uh leg kicks are gonna be key and the next factor in this fight Uh, i think he's gonna be more than motivated to get back on the horse especially after you know the the recent tough stretch that he's on um uh, going up to 145 as well, uh, even if it's temporary, I think it's very, very good for him. uh You know, we're, we're going to see an even stronger Jimmy Rivera, in my opinion. Uh, the guy sucks a lot of weight down to get down to 135, so that 145 cut for him probably won't be as bad, and he should feel even better. And it's not like cardio has ever been something, uh you know, that's plagued him in his career. He's obviously had good cardio throughout his fights, um, but I'm just really excited to see what he looks like at 145 pounds. And lastly, you know, in that fight against Piotr Jan, he was kind of holding his own. You know, his leg kicks obviously came into play there a lot. Uh, but it, it's just like at the end of the, the first and second round, he, he found himself getting caught and dropped by Piotr Jan. But up until those points, you know, those fights were quite competitive. And if you're giving me that type of striking against a guy like Cody Stamon, who, you know, striking isn't necessarily his first uh, or his primary martial art. Uh, I think Jimmy Rivera could definitely have the, the the opera hat in here, and I could see Cody kind of just. And this is going for takedowns but i think he's going to start to wilt and fade and jimmy rivera is really going to start to put on with the striking and that's where he's going to start to pull away with it so i like jimmy here i more than likely will be playing him here uh but uh yeah i, I like jimmy to win this fight i'm going to say by decision uh but i wouldn't be surprised to see him you know catch cody with something clean and put him away in either the second or the third round so i'll go with jimmy rivera here and i think he holds uh, some solid value up to about minus 150 so if you see him anything better than that i'm personally waiting for that minus 130 minus 135 line on one of my bookies uh and i'm gonna take the shot there so i'm taking jimmy rivera jimmy rivera to win this fight by decision tim elliott versus ryan benoit we got minus 130 on elliott plus 110 on ryan benoit but the line that i really want to draw your attention to is the under two and a half at plus 145 so let's start off with ryan benoit it's ridiculous to me that the guy's been in the ufc for seven years and he's had just as many UFC fights. Um, it kind of caught me off guard when I was looking through his record and you know watching some of the tape on him that he made his UFC debut way back at the Alternate Fighter 18 finale, November of 2013, where he lost via rear naked choke to Josh Sample. Uh, shout out to anybody that remembers Josh. Uh, Josh Sample uh, was a uh, you know didn't have too long of a UFC career, but was definitely somebody that I remember. But after that. Took uh, about a year and a half off. Came back and knocked out Sergio Perez in a fight that he was pretty much losing up until that point. And then a fight after that. uh, Rear naked choke lost to Ben Nguyen. Uh, And he's pretty much just been trading wins and losses back and forth. Uh, you know, went to a split decision with Brandon Moreno, who's definitely killing shit in the flyweight division now, uh, was able to beat the worst fighter in UFC history in Askan Mokhtarayan with the head kick in round three, and then most recently lost a split decision to Haile Alatang, which was a very close fight. Um, but it did seem like Alatang was starting to take over after that second round, and he was able to li- land a, a solid amount of takedowns on Benoit as well, too, to really sway the judges his way uh or sorry against uh Ryan Benoit with Tim Elliott he has a really tough task ahead of him because Tim Elliott is a very very uh solid grappler and likes to drown his opponents in the grappling realm uh you know Benoit mainly wants to keep this fight on the feet he has a great left kick to the body from his southpaw position um but outside of that you know Again, he has he has a ton of power in his hands, so if he catches with Tim Elliott with something, he could definitely hurt him. But I think the issue here is going to be him, uh, you know, keeping Tim Elliott off of him. I think Tim does a really good job in terms of closing distance. He moves very awkwardly, so it's hard to predict where he's going to be and when he's going to be there. So I think it'll be a little bit tougher for Ryan Benoit to really land a clean shot on him. Uh, and I think that Tim Elliott will be able to, you know, clasp his hands around him get some sort of a trip, get a double leg or whatever it is, get this fight to the ground and start swarming him with submission attempts. And then that's why I really like the the under two and a half here because as we saw in Tim Elliott's last fight when he went up against Brandon Royval not too long ago either. I just want to confirm the date on that. That was, uh yeah, the the Woodley versus Burns card, May 30th. So just about a, a month and a half later, he's right back at it against Ryan Benoit. And um, if you guys remember that fight, you know, he... He was aggressive right off the bat. He pretty much went for a takedown right away, got the fight down pretty easily, and was able to you know pull off a not pull off, but uh, go for a ton of different submission attempts. And I think in some of those, he probably would have been able to catch Ryan Benoit in. Uh, Roy Val was a little bit more crafty around the ground than Benoit, um, which is why Roy Val was able to get out of them and then eventually sink in his own arm triangle choke in the second round, which is at the point where Tim Elliott started to gas a little bit start to suck wind uh and it really showed that he you know with him going for so many t- uh so many submission attempts and so many different grappling uh transitions it really started to gas him and i think that if he does that against benoit and he's not able to get benoit out of there benoit should have some success in that set, late second and third round to really hurt him elliot and probably put him away too um that's why i like the under two and a half you know i think that's going to be my dog of the night play as well plus 145 for two guys that pretty much consistently always look and go for the finish uh i gotta take the plus 145 and i think it's only at plus 145 because these guys are flyweights and most people don't really expect these guys to go for finishes or anything like that but tim elliott right both are synonymous for always looking for that either knockout punch or the submission or crowding their opponents to, to eventually get them out of there and i i, I think that tim elliott's going to be the one that's successful within the first or two first round or the second round of getting Ryan Benoit down and then locking up some sort of submission, whether it's a rear naked choke or a dark choke or whatever it may be. I think he'll definitely be able to get that choke. But instead of taking Tim Elliott, I would rather cover my ass with the potential Ryan Benoit knockout as well uh, in case Tim Elliott does gas himself out. And I just can't trust myself to to bet a guy like Tim Elliott. But I do like the under two and a half because I think both guys have solid finishing opportunities. And if you're giving me plus money, uh, I'm going to take it. And I think that uh, Tim kind of knows that his best chance to victory here is that submission. So he's going to get Benoit down within that first round and start working for subs and really trying to confuse Ryan Benoit. And I think that he will get that sub in the first round. So I'll go with Tim Elliott to win by first round submission. But I think the bet here will be the under two and a half at around plus 145, plus 150. So if you guys um, see that at your bookie, I would highly recommend taking a shot on that prop. Time for the main event, we got Calvin Cater versus Dan Ige, Uh, minus 300 ish. I see below minus 300 a couple places on Calvin Cater, plus 245, plus 250 for Dan Ige. So let's start off with Dan Ige, who most recently fought when he beat Edson Barboza. That was on May 16th, so just about two months ago. Uh, he won that fight by split decision. We actually had a displ- deciding split show where we went over that fight, and we actually scored it for Dan Ige. But uh, in watching it again uh, for, you know, for research purposes for this fight, Man, it, it was a very close fight, and you could absolutely make uh, a, a, a case for Edson Barboza, especially in that second round. Um, it's pretty obvious that Dan Ige won the third round, but in that in that second round, man, it was very close, and uh, Edson Barboza hurt him pretty bad to the body a couple times, and uh, we see that, you know, Ige is slightly slower to the punch, which is why Edson Barboza was able to land a lot of good shots on him. Um you know Dan Ige is still primarily a grappler but has been making his chops uh with his striking uh in his last at least during his his run right now um the the issue with him though is again his speed is a little bit lacking so a better striker or a faster striker will be able to to really pick him apart especially on the counters um and his wrestling isn't to the you know craziest extent where you know that you can count on him to always get the takedown um so, the, those couple like uh, question marks about Danny Ige really give me pause about, uh, you know, what his or how legitimate he actually is you can't really discredit his you know his recent run right now i believe it's a six fight winning streak with wins over guys like jordan griffin kevin aguilar Mursad bektik who's on a downward spiral now um and then obviously most recently edson barboza who's making his featherweight debut for that fight uh, barboza still looked good even though he was coming down the weight class uh but good for danny to pick up the victory there but I, I i'm not sold on him yet you know i bet him against him when i uh had Mursad bektik i believe i had had Kev, uh, kevin aguilar as well too um i'm not a danny gay believer I, I think he's just eking these these fights out uh the bektik one i think you could have a um uh, you know a case for bektik to win that fight too uh but the barboza one was just really fucking close and you know it, it's more so he doesn't really try to well, when he's striking, he doesn't really try to put together punches. It's more so to just get that power shot in, get that kill shot in, try to rock his opponent, and then just swarm them Uh you know, it's only going to get you so far. And then when you go up against a guy like Calvin Cater, who's much more refined on the feet, uh, has a lot of better techniques, is the longer guy too, has a crisp and ridiculously good jab, which will probably be the the X factor in this fight. I think we're going to see Ige get absolutely busted up and and really... um, you know, he, he's probably going to get finished in this fight. Uh, you know, shout out to the New England cartel with Calvin Cater and Rob Font and those guys. But I think that Calvin Cater is on the, on the cusp of greatness. You know, he lost a decision to Zabit Magomed Sharipov, But if that was a five-round fight, we would probably see it go a little bit differently. And say what you want about, you know, obviously Zabit would have uh, changed his his style and, and his... Um, you know, output based on the fact if it was 25 compared to 15 minutes. Uh, but still, Kevin Cater shows that he's able to just keep going, uh, has great cardio. Um, he started to, you know, he's acknowledged and started to um, uh, make changes in regards to, like, checking leg kicks, uh, starting to throw leg kicks of his own, which are which were very helpful in his fight against Jeremy Stevens. Um, even in the Ricardo Lamas fight, he threw them a little bit. But his hands is where it's really at. And it's hilarious when he knocked out Ricardo Lamas that Joe Rogan was actually pointing out the difference in, you know, hand technique and hand skill. And just as he was finishing his sentence, he absolutely blistered Ricardo Lamas, put him on his butt and finished off with like some ridiculous ground and pound. Uh, But man, the guy's so good on the feet. He's so technical. He's so quick. uh, And I completely understand why he's in the minus 300 range. And honestly... He's more than likely going to be my locker than I play, and I don't mind paying the juice on him here. Again, I'm not impressed with Danny to the extent of thinking that he's going to beat a guy like Calvin Cater. Uh, Calvin Cater is obviously the A-side of this matchup here. Um, he's exciting. He puts on good performances. You know, his only setbacks is beat Magomed, Sharapov, and Hanato Moicano. Uh You know, it seems like he addressed those issues in both of those fights, the the, well, there's not too many issues in the Zabit fight. It was more so saying that he started off slow. Uh, obviously, he started to pick it up a little bit in the Jeremy Stevens fight uh, at the beginning, uh, and was able to get the finish in the second round. So maybe he, you know, he is. Uh, uh, making use of that first round too uh this is going to be his first five round fight in the ufc which will be very impressive for him and very good for experience because i believe he doesn't need to worry about starting off slow because he still has four rounds to potentially get the finish or at least win four rounds if this goes this goes to a decision personally I don't think it's going to go to a decision. I don't think Dan Ige is going to be able to withstand uh, the, the power and the, the technique coming his way. And the, the under 4.5 is minus 160 kind of makes sense. I would much rather still take the take the shot on Calvin Kader here. Uh, again, a little bit juiced, but I don't mind it. He has all the technique in the world. His jab is just so freaking crisp. And he does such a good job of like, uh, I believe it was the Ricardo Lamas fight or it could have been the Jeremy Stevens fight where he... he kind of gauges how far he is not just with his jab but also with his right hand as well too his uh you know his uh, his power hand he kind of paused it out there to see okay i'm this close to him with my power that means my jab is just going to land pretty easily and he's done it a couple times with a couple of his opponents and he's just so well versed great fight iq um yeah, that, it, it's tough for me to see you know, uh, an instant where uh, Danny Ige wins this fight outside of like a, a first-round knockout. He's not a big leg kicker, which is probably one of the, the flaws that we've seen for Kater in the past. But even that, I think he started to to really work on, especially when you have a guy like Rob Font in your corner who's a great kicker and Muay Thai practitioner himself. you got to think that he's learned a thing or two from him Um but yeah, I think Cater's on a new wave right now. I think he felt that, you know, what the top feels like when he went up against a guy like Magomed Sherpov and he's trying to elevate his game even more. So I love me some Calvin Cater here. Um, I think he's going to win this fight probably by third or fourth round TKO. Uh, but Danny is just not going to be able to stand on or, you know, uh, hang on the feet. Nor do I think he's going to be able to get this fight to the ground consistent enough or good enough to at least, you know, pull away with the victory um, or pull off a submission. We've seen Cater get taken down by Ricardo Lamas. Cater was easily right back up to his feet. I think Fish, Chris Fishcole got him down as well. Cater did a good job of like shrimping to the cage and getting right back to his feet. So he has good knowledge in terms of what he needs to do to get back to his feet and doesn't really settle on the bottom either, which is where uh, Danny Ige kind of thrives. But, you know, even that, Danny Ige doesn't do the best in terms of keeping fighters down. Uh, so, yeah, I, I like Calvin Cater here. I will be paying the juice on him. I just want to wait... Um, <clears throat> Maybe even on weigh-in day or something like that, we'll see the line uh, get a little bit closer. Uh, I, I'm not hundred percent sure. I wanna, I wanna try to. I'm aiming for that minus two seventy-five, but I don't mind taking the shot over my, you know, three hundred to three ten or three fifteen. I don't mind it. I, I just think that Cater is the the pretty, you know, the the definition of a lock of the night on this card, which is why I'm more than happy to play him. Uh, so yeah, I'm gonna go with Calvin Cater to win this fight. And there's your breakdown for UFC Fight Island 1. If you guys agree with me, disagree with me, let me know in the comment section below and I'll be gladly debating you guys there. Um, make sure you guys follow me at on Twitter at MMALOTN. That's the best way to get a hold of me. I'm always checking the the Twitter stream. Every now and then I'll come in and look at the comment section below for YouTube. But the best way to get a hold of me is on Twitter. So make sure you guys check me out there. And if you guys haven't subscribed yet, hit help me out. I'm at like 918 or 920 right now. I'm trying to get to a 1000 before the end of the summer. and I think it's very much attainable. Uh, so just help a brother out. If you guys are watching my videos on a weekly basis, just hit the subscribe button and you guys will get a notification every time the episode drops as well too. So that definitely helps um yeah that's pretty much it for all my bits check out the twitter account check out the website mmalotn.ca. haven't placed anything as of yet but i will be probably uh after the weigh-ins or at least early fight day as well too so make sure you guys check that out and then the podcast for UFC Fight Island 2, which is the Saturday card. I believe that's the Figueredo and Benavidez 2 card. Uh, I believe that podcast will come out either Wednesday night or Thursday evening. So make sure you guys check out that and uh, stay tuned. ton of fights ton of fights to break down your man's going crazy trying to study 30 to 40 fights in the span of a couple days so i'm uh i'm I'm banging them out and again lastly they drop nice and early on my patreon so if you guys can't wait for the podcast to come out check out the patreon and i'll hook you guys up there and that's about it enjoy the fights let's make some money and i'll see you guys for the next episode